in Miami alone, uh, at the public school district, there's over 172 nationalities. So that gives wow. you an idea of the, the, it's a melting pot of nationality. Sometimes when people think about Miami, they think about Spanish, right? Hispanic people. It's not like that. Miami has grown into a diverse city that welcomes people from over 172 different nationalities. Yeah. Hi, welcome to the Melrose Show. Melrose here. If you've listened to this intro before, you can click the forward button now eight times to get to the start of this episode. So, before this version of myself, I was Anne artist, fashion designer, professional model, TV personality, small business owner, real estate agent, placement agent, and an institutional financial advisor, all before stepping into my current role, which I love, in investor relations and podcasting professional. Woo! It was a wild ride to get here. And after all those jobs, living in six countries, 16 different cities, and trying on many versions of myself, I have found that... The best place to live is comfortably in my purpose and in a space and a community that allows me and wants to see me grow. And I want the same for you. Through my highly versatile career path and working with others on their dreams along the way, I decided to start this podcast to try to help people understand that life is not a race, it's a marathon, career is not a ladder, it's a jungle gym, and that I really believe truly the best way in life is following curiosity my curiosity has me focused on career plants shadow light and integration work art permaculture and community building these are my purposes in life and for me they all go together they're topics that we will explore together throughout time on this podcast and I come here to connect you to unique ideas from incredible people. The aim is to help us all grow more into our purpose-driven lives. This podcast supports a community of amazing humans that meet on full moons to howl and heal. We are a global community. Many are interviewed on this podcast. And I invite you to join us offline after the show. Now, Sit back, relax, and enjoy this exploration journey with people from around the world who have self-actualized in their lives in some way. Hopefully, they will inspire you in your own authentic journey. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Today, we are joined by Jenny Naveen, the president and founder of Ola Schools, and we are so excited to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mel. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Yes. And so you are based in Miami. Is that correct? That is correct. I am based in Miami, Florida for the past 25 years. Amazing. We love Miami. (laughs) Uh, Can you give us a little bit of insight on your background and how you came to uh, being the president and founder of Ola Schools? Absolutely. So I'm originally from Colombia, South America. I was uh, born and raised in, 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 in the outskirts of the main capital of Colombia, which is Bogota. I came to this country at 23 years of age. Um, back then, I was already a mother, a single mother to a beautiful girl that was 
five years of age at that time. And I decided to move to Miami to pursue another life, other opportunities. And essentially, I wanted to give my daughter the possibilities of learning a new language and seeing beyond uh, her horizons in Colombia. I wanted her to experience what the world has to offer. And Miami for me was uh, like a second home. As a child, we would come here during the summertime. So that was the first city that came to my head when I moved to the US. Nice. And you had kind of been back and forth growing up, right? Absolutely. Yes. My parents went to, um, they pursued their graduate degree programs at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So I had the opportunity as a child uh, to live there. And I actually completed my elementary school in, uh, in Kentucky. We lived as well in Tallahassee for a while in New York for a while. And I did finish my high school actually in Emporium, Pennsylvania, a very small town um, <laughs> up in Pennsylvania. Um, so I went, uh, yeah, I finished my high school at Cameron County High School in Emporium, Pennsylvania. Population of 3,000 people. <laughs> wow, that was the size of my whole high school. My well, high there school, you go. <laughs> my high school was like 3,000 people. Um, and so then you went back to Columbia and then you moved back in, like, I think you said 1997? In 1997, yes. Yeah. So my parents, we went, I moved back to Colombia because I was an exchange student back then. So I finished high school in Pennsylvania, and then I went back to Colombia, um, and then went on to university. So I pursued my uh, degree in business administration with an emphasis in education administration. My parents back then used to own... Uh, a high school, which was a boarding school where students from all over the world would uh, register. And it was a boarding school. So 90% of the students would actually live at the school. And all of our teachers were foreigners. So we, I, I grew up with that uh, immersion of, of getting to know people from different walks of life. Uh, after university, once I graduated, I packed my bags, my daughter's bags, and we, we left. We left Colombia to pursue, as I said prior, uh, new opportunities. And one of the things I loved that you had told me was that your father was actually pretty forward thinking because it was the first co-ed boarding school, which... South America is very Catholic, so this was kind of a forward-thinking idea, right? Yes, yes, and this was back in 1981. So back in 1981, um, my father started this mixed uh, boarding school, and, and it was unheard of, not only in Colombia, but in general in, in South America. Like you said, it's a very Catholic-driven uh, 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 culture, right? So my father decided to open a boarding school as uh, when we came back from Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, when we, you know, where they, when they finished their graduate degree program back in my town, the only school available was a Catholic school. Um, and it's not that he was against, you know, the Catholic religion or, or, or any of that uh, uh, thinking, but mainly because he wanted to give us children the opportunity to experience a different type of educational system. So he implemented not only a, a mixed, a co-ed boarding school, but in addition to that, he um, followed the philosophy of Neil, which was uh, essentially allowing uh, you as a child, as a human being, to express yourself and, and to be 
driven by your own thoughts and actions. So it was actually quite the experience. It was an eye-opening for us, not only for me uh, as a child, but for hundreds of kids that went through my father's school, yes. That is amazing. That's so cool. And, and it's interesting. I find people either really follow in their parents' footsteps or they do nothing along the same lines. There's like, no, like, well, I thought about it and then I did it. It's like either it's totally what their parents did or they didn't. So it's so cool that you've kind of taken that what your parents kind of taught you and taking it to the next level. I want to talk a little bit about Ola School. So how did you come to found this and tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. So when uh, I left the country with my, my beautiful princess, um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure of what was I, what was I going to do, right? So I started a, um, the possibility of exporting uh, imports to uh, material to the petroleum companies in Colombia, and I did that for one year. It was not my passion, so I decided to do something that was related to what my parents were doing in Colombia. So one day driving here in Brickell, which is a financial district of Miami, I saw a sign that would say that said uh, office space available whether it was for rent or purchase so i was curious about it uh, mind you with no financial means at all so i stopped at the leasing company in the lobby of that building and i and i said listen i want to rent the space that's available can i see it they showed it to me um the realtor expressed that that unit was not available for rent, but rather for purchase. I said, no problem, I'll go to the bank. Um, and then once I had the space and once uh, the bank gave me the okay, which back then was uh, truly a blessing from God, an angel watching over me. I had no Shout credit. Out. Shout no. out to Bank of America. What, what? Yes, it was Bank of America. Bank yep. of America was the company that extended, the bank that extended uh, their hand to me when I had no credit, I had no financial means. I just did it, it within an hour or two with this little business plan. Uh, but I had faith. I had faith that they were going to say, yes, go ahead. We'll mortgage you this, uh, this uh, location so that you can start your business. Um, and then once that took place and once I was in the, in the premises, uh, after closing, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it, right? So I didn't know whether I was going to continue with exporting goods or what was I going to do. And then it came to my head that, okay, well, let's do what my parents used to do, but at a different level, more so bringing students from, you know, from different countries to teach English as a second language. And that's how it started. It was just an idea. So we started uh, providing uh, courses to local people. As you know, the Miami area has a dense demographic of Hispanic people, and a great percentage of them do not necessarily speak the language, right? So we were, I was, that was my main uh, idea, right? I, I was thinking perhaps if we offer the services to the local people, then it could grow into something, and it did. I think it's so fascinating because it's grown into, I mean, let's, we can talk about like where you started and where you're at now, but I love that you have 
taken something that there's clearly a need. I mean, even today when I go to Miami, I'm like, wait, what is going on? I can't, I tried to order coffee and a croissant somewhere. Like they didn't speak English. I'm like, what, where am I? What is going on? This is so interesting to me that part little, you know, there can be pockets where people like you need Spanish. I feel like you also might need to have a school where you're like teaching Americans in Miami, you know, how to speak speak Spanish too. But I think it's so valuable to have multiple languages, but, um, so you started out with that location. You've grown into how many schools do you have now? So we have at the moment, we started with location here in Miami. It was a, it was an office with five different rooms or that could be used as classrooms or offices. Um, then we expanded to the entire floor and then we moved on to other locations in Orlando, Celebration, Winter Garden. We have in Aventura, Boca, Tampa, um, locations where we serve as students from all over the world. Yeah, from over 70 different nationalities. And you guys help, you, you told me that 80% transition to university. So they have to take the um, what are the, the tests called? They have to take certain tests to get into the universities and you have an 80% transition rate? Exactly. So as part, of, uh, as part of the admission process that universities have for international students, you are to take uh, an exam that's called the TOEFL or IELTS. So this exam allows them to prove themselves that they are linguistically prepared to enter uh, to an American university. Now with our program, Uh, which is recognized by more than 67 top-tier universities. Here in Florida alone, we have USF, UCF, FIU, FAU, and many more universities that are top-tier universities in the U.S. They recognize our program in lieu of IELTS or TOEFL. So students that come from overseas don't have to worry about taking those exams. they're, 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 the objective is for them to arrive to our program, reach the advanced to level, and then transition directly to university. So we have this wonderful team of people uh, here at Ola that take care of all the university admission process to our students. Uh, so this has been uh, uh, one of the gateways to hire. Our, our, our brand in general is known as the gateway to higher education as we focus mainly and students are coming to our schools, reaching a certain level in our English program to then transition to top year, uh, top tier universities here in the United States. So the, the University Pathway Program has been uh, one, of the, one of the programs that I'm most proud of as we, we set ourselves uh, completely aside from the competition, right? So we sit that's a market that we that we control uh, quite quite largely at the moment yes and so your daughter works with you now she works at the company yes my daughter finished her degree in uh, in economics and finance at university of miami she worked she was immediately recruited by one of the largest uh, financial uh, companies in south america they have offices here in brickell in miami she did that for three years and it wasn't her thing. So she said, I'm going to start looking for something else. This is not necessarily my passion. 
Um, and then I said, why don't you come and work with us in the marketing department uh, to recruit agencies from overseas as well as international students? And she's like, why not? So now she leads the marketing department along with a group of 15 uh, people that lead the international marketing department and a network of agencies that extend beyond 8,000. I mean, how cool is it to have a mother-daughter business here? <laughs> I mean, multi-generational businesses are so unique and so amazing and, and something that I think that this country has so much history with. So it's so nice to see that you're, you're having that within your family. Um, you, you, I want to tell the story about your daughter with COVID and, and the idea that she, she, had been, she had kind of brought, because now you guys are available online, right? Yeah. Yes, so we have a, a virtual platform. A year and a half ago, or close to two years, my daughter, we, I mean, this type of industry is very face-to-face -face oriented, right? So teaching face-to-face -face is, is the conventional way, the traditional way of doing so. A year and a half to two years ago, my daughter kept insisting, she's a millennial, my daughter is 28 years of age, uh, so she's 100% a millennial, and she kept insisting in, um, in opening a new division in the company that would allow students from overseas to take uh, our classes, our, our, our credited program, our, our award-winning English program online. And I kept telling her, I kept telling her, baby, you know, it's, we are traditional, we're face-to-face. -face. She's like, mother, you have to look into this. So finally, after her insistence for, for such a long time, I said, you know what, I'm going to jump into your idea. We hired a company in Canada that's known for uh, creating this type of platforms uh, for uh, ESL stakeholders, for ESL language schools. And it took them like a year and a half to develop that platform for Ola. And we were to launch it at the beginning of uh, March of this year. It had been already on the works for a year and a half. And then March of this year happened, uh, COVID happened March of this year, and it was exactly the same month that we were supposed to launch our virtual platform. So in essence, my daughter saved the company. So, <laughs> so parents, it does, it does pay, it does pay to hear our millennials. They do have really, really good ideas. Okay. So for all the boomers and, and <laughs> generation uh, X listening out there, millennials can save your companies. If you left, if you listen to their ideas. No, I just love that story. I love that. You're like, she kept pushing it and you know, you respect her enough to listen to her and it was literally the perfect timing. I it mean, was I the perfect timing. It was, a, I'm, I'm a very uh, faithful person and it was definitely a calling from God. You are to do this, something is going to happen. Do something <laughs> about it. <laughs> you could have told the rest of us. Um, <laughs> um, one of the things you said when we were kind of having our prelim call to get ready for this was you said, this and I wrote this down. You don't have to be a part of the statistics. Can you explain that a little bit? In relation to to kids who maybe don't speak English, who are on a trajectory to not go to top tier universities, and I love that you're creating a space that feels safe for people to go after their dreams, even if English is not a comfort for them. Exactly. So I've I've always believed that that us as human beings, we, we evolve, right? So we, um, I, I saw it myself when I came to this country, I'm a woman, 
uh, I'm a Hispanic, so there you go, double minority, right? So I was always thinking, um, okay, how is it that us as women or as a gender and as a uh, ethnicity, how is it that we can go beyond that, right? So you're talking about Miami, you say that Miami, uh, when you come to Miami, you, you feel that you need to speak Spanish, right? So I wish I knew Spanish when I'm there. That's for sure. <laughs> and I'll tell you one thing. It's, it's, it's not that complicated as people think. Spanish is, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful language. At any rate, um, in Miami alone, uh, at the public school district, there's over 172 nationalities. So that gives wow. you an idea of the, the, it's a melting part of nationality. Sometimes when people think about Miami, they think about Spanish, right? Hispanic people. It's not like that. Miami has grown into a diverse city that welcomes people from over 172 different nationalities. Yeah. So when I first came to this country and to Miami, at that point in time, it was heavily ran by uh the, by cuban people uh, i'm i'm just gonna say it out loud it yeah. was at the government level at the city level not the government level in washington more at the state level at the city level uh with the constituents it was heavily um ran by people from cuba right so they come with that cuban mentality of Castro and all this and when i came i felt that I was within that statistic of people that, so if I'm Hispanic, I must be Cuban. If I speak Spanish, I must be Cuban, right? So it was a little bit frustrating for me at the beginning because uh, I'm proud of being Hispanic. That's, that's who I am. But I didn't want um, myself as a professional or as an individual, as a person, as a woman, to fall into a category of I'm Hispanic or American or Chinese, you know, I wanted not to be part of the statistic. And mm. with that concept, concept in mind, I wanted for our company to offer programs that were inclusive of all demographics, right? So that's why for us, welcoming students from over 70 different nationalities is so important because it gives them the possibility to immerse themselves within a community of people from all over the world. You learn to see different perspectives and different ways of thinking, right? So for me, it was let's not fall into the statistic of being Hispanic and being a woman as a minority. I am an individual and this is all I can do more so than anything else. Yes. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I, and I, I love it. You know, it's hard because I think a lot of people don't realize that the 172 nationalities in Miami, I mean, that is incredible. That is a full on melting pot. And yeah. I can see why it would be challenging if people are like, you're Cuban. And you're like, no, I'm Colombian. Like they're totally different. Exactly. You know? yes, exactly. So it's not, it's not falling into that, right? Like right. We are all, you know, we're all individuals from different backgrounds, but exactly. I'm from Colombia. I'm not from Cuba, but I'm Hispanic and proud of it. Right. And it kind of like lumps you together, even though you're, it's so different. I want to talk a little bit about you know, your career path and you're definitely someone who has faith and has, you know, believed in this process, which I think helps the process work better. But is there anything that you wish you would have known before you started down this, this path that, that now you're like, if I knew that it would have made it this much easier. 
to get to so, this. Level. So I think that I think that one of the most beautiful things that I've experienced in my life is the not knowing. <laughs> it's actually the not knowing. You know, when someone asks me who are you, I always I always respond, I'll tell you who I am not. Right. So one of the one of the things that I, I as when I when I started the company, I was 23, 24 years of age. Right. I'm 47 right now. Wow. So um, when I started the company, I went and jumped into something that I had absolutely no idea how to do it. And today, as years have progressed, if I would have sat down and tried to analyze, wait a minute, do you think I can do this? Am I capable of doing that? I am 100% confident that I would have done nothing. So one of the things that I love about humans and mankind is that, um, that strength, that, that will that we have within our heart and within our being of doing something, sometimes not even knowing what you're doing, but yet doing it right so that was one of the things for me the career path if, if i look back in time to see if i should have done something if i would have known i would have done something different yes if i would have had a stronger a stronger financial background i would have made perhaps some financial decisions uh, different right uh, if I would have known a little bit more of the local marketing then I would have done something different right but then again if I would have not done it, it let's say in an um, you know when they say uh, ignorance is a blessing mm -hmm. if I would have if I would have known I, I would have maybe uh, blocked myself from doing so uh, one mm -hmm. of the things that uh, we follow, we fall easily is on fear, right? So that stops us from doing things. And it's very, it's very natural that you think about something that you want to do. And immediately there's a negative in your head that says, no, but you can't do this, right? So it's that fear. Uh, fortunately, I've been either crazy in my life or again, like I said, ignorance is a blessing that I have never felt fear. I've always known in my heart I can do it, right? So my, 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 my past has determined who I am today as a person and as a professional. Um, and I do believe that I'm happy that one of the things that I didn't do is that I wasn't fearful of what I was intending to do. Yeah, that's interesting. I am... <laughs> I think about this saying, you know, that somebody, somebody once asked me, what's worse, fear or laziness? And it's interesting that you say that you didn't have fear because I feel like you might have had fear, but because you were a single mother, that the fear instead of being debilitating for you was more of a motivator. I find that laziness is, is worse than fear because you don't do anything with laziness, but fear can actually be flipped around and used as a motivational tool. And if you have people depending on you, like you said, it's like, well, I just don't know. So I'm just going to do it, you know, and it's less fear because you just didn't, you don't really sit down and think about it too much because you just have to get something done because you have people I, I depending agree, on yeah. you. 
Yeah, I agree with you, Mel. I think that you're right on that sense. Uh, the fact that, you know, I was already a mom and, and the responsibilities mount and you just don't take any actions that you do lightly. I've always made decisions in my life and if it affect my daughter in any way, shape or form, even at her age right now, I don't, I don't make the decision. I don't take it lightly, right? So one of the things that I know is that, um, yes, you're more cautious in what you do, but but it's important that us as human beings, we, we do not fear what we want to do. And I agree with you. That's not to be confused with being lazy, right? Right. Because it's like, you're like, okay, I'm not going to be afraid of what I have to do, but I'm also going to do something. I'm not just going to sit here and like, be like, oh, I'm not going to do anything. Like you have to do something. Um, whereas exactly. I think when people have a big security net or not a ton of people are like leaning on them, you kind of get this laziness out of out of fear. So it's like, is fear going to be a motivator? Or is it going to create laziness? And anyways, you're clearly not a lazy person. You've created an incredible business. And I think that you are in, very um, inspiring to look at in the sense that, you know, you're a president and a founder. So those roles, you know, being a, a female boss, what do you think are are steps to young women or men, you know, who, who want to be in a role of authority, but kind of coming at it from a more nurturing, purposeful way. What, what's your advice to those people kind of starting out in their career and like maybe some of the largest lessons you've learned for being a leader who's also female and double minority, I guess. I, I believe that people that are, as you said, coming from a nurturing environment, I think they have to, to, to put a little bit of uh, to believe uh, more in themselves outside of their comfort zone, right? So jump into a situation where you feel confident, going into a, a, a job interview, uh, comfortable, uh, talk with authority, believe in yourself. I think that we have to believe in ourselves so that we can relay this image to the world, right? So I do believe that young people out there, and this is the advice that I've always given my daughter, first, trust your intuition, it never betrays you. <laughs> Listen to that sixth sense that's talking to you and telling you go for it or stop right there. So for, for people that are starting, for young leaders, for people looking for uh, scaling up in their professional life, going up the ladder, don't be fearful. I, I go back to this, that this fear that we instill in ourselves. Follow your intuition. Walk with, walk and talk with authority, right? Be prepared, right? Uh, be bold in the decisions that you make, but be incredibly comfortable with who you are. Believe in yourself. If you look at yourself in the mirror and you said, yes, I've got this, and you talk the talk and then go to the real world in an interview, in a job interview, or, 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 or seeking a position that would give you that extra push, right? Uh, you have to believe in yourself. Do the homework, of course. Do the homework. Prepare yourself. Be bold. Be assertive when you talk to people and then the work just speak the work speaks for for itself right you slowly but surely establish yourself as a as a professional 
and then uh, you grow within your profession. But be sure of yourself as an individual. It is very difficult for you to go up in the ladder or become a leader when you yourself don't believe you're a leader yourself, right? So I think that uh, parents are very nurturing of their kids, which is a beautiful thing to do. I mean, I was very nurturing of my daughter. I'm still are. Uh, but give them that confidence to say, listen, you can do it. Uh, and, and, and take away that fear that we as as parents sometimes instill in our children there's nothing to fear but fear itself just go out there and, and, and be assertive and be confident of who you are so i think it starts from believing in yourself as an individual even if you are a young professional you and with no experience if you believe that you can do something uh, truly the the sky is the limit yeah yeah and i don't think that being confident means that you have to you know, or being bold means that you have to be not nurturing or disrespect, you know, it means that you, I like what you're saying because it's like, it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's just taking the time to appreciate your intuition and your knowingness of yourself so that you can go out there and lead. And people are attracted to confidence. There's a quite a few books that have been referred to on this, this podcast for confidence. I think the confidence code was one of them. I still have to read it, but there's so many tools that you can use to kind of get centered and believe in yourself. So when you're, when you're, you know, in a, you know, your president role of your company, do you find that you're kind of leading with encouraging people's skill sets versus, you know, I mean, it's a school, you have to like tell kids to, you know, do a good job, but how do you find leading this giant company that you've created what are your like what are the things have you taken the believing in yourself to the point where you can do it incredibly efficiently and it doesn't even take work for you so so one of the things that i've done throughout the years that that i've seen um really good results with the staff that works in our schools we, we have close to 200 people that work for the company and one of the things that I've done is that I, I make them feel that they are part of the vision. They are part of the vision, right? But truly make them feel they're part of the vision. And not that I am the president and I lead the company. No, there's no, there's no ranking within our company. I am just Jenny. They are my colleagues. We are colleagues, right? We are a tribe of people building something together. I have accomplished nothing on my own. It has taken a group of people that have believed in my vision and built together something. I think that success doesn't come when you do, if you believe that you are successful as a leader of a company or as, as a president or in any position of high ranking, if you believe you've, you've done this on your own, I truly believe you're wrong because there's no yeah. possible way that you can get into any position of leadership without a group of people believing in you, believing in your vision. For me, empowering my, my staff, my colleagues to be and express themselves in their abilities and their confidence is, is, is the way I lead. You never, my door is always open. They can come in and gossip if they want. If they need help, they just say, Jenny, can you come here? I have a question. Like the, the uh, we have an open door policy where we all 
work together, right? So we, it's a tribe. It's a, it's a beautiful tribe of, of people building this beautiful concept of, of student mobilization, of globalization. It's, a, it's just this beautiful family uh, that, we, that, that, that share the same vision that I do. I, I, I don't give orders, I don't mandate. Everybody does what they have to do because they already know they have, they know that they have the ability to express themselves without the fear of being judged. Mm. Even if they're wrong and if they've made a mistake, a wrong decision, they're never judged. Okay, we learn, let's move forward, you know? So this is the type of leadership that we have here at Ola. It's uh, essentially the leadership is that we're all together in this. We're all here to help each other, to make this grow, uh, and, to, and to feel that we're part of a family rather than a, a corporate. Uh, I know, you know, there's, you work for uh, Bank of America, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm corporate. You're corporate, right? So you you know what corporate corporate is, right? Especially at the financial end of yeah, it. Yeah, but you know, I'm lucky in my job because there's so many women, female um, financial advisors in my office, and I it's a it's only maybe 12 people in my office, uh-huh. so it feels like a family office. So it's the luckiest institutional finance job location I could have ever asked for because it feels like a family office. Mind you, when you have that, everyone's involved in each, everyone knows what each other is like going on, but it's very caring atmosphere. It does not feel corporate. I'm very, very blessed that that was my introduction to corporate financial. Financial. I can see that. I can see that because the moment that I've always been a little bit concerned that the moment the company become our company becomes too corporate, then we lose that connection that I have with the rest of, of the team, right? The, the people, the, the, the VP and his team, the directors and their team. I, I've always been afraid that we lose that connection. But uh, I think the key is to just keep it tight. Keep them family office sizes. Exactly. Don't, don't make the offices more than 10, 15 people. You know, have managers who, who you know, when, when somebody makes a mistake, you're encouraged to bring it up because generally the mistakes are where the biggest growth happens. So, so managers should want to hear what was that big mistake you made? You know, if you go to your CEO or your manager and you say, I made this mistake, I corrected it. This is how I corrected it. I'm really sorry, but I also learned this big lesson. They're going to respect you so much more than you trying to hide it. I mean, you can't do that in, in finance. I mean, I guess people can, but in a, in a good corporate culture, uh, you know, things are very transparent and open and honest about if there's a mistake, how to correct it quickly. And what did you learn? You know, because you're going to keep getting the same lessons until you learn, you know, that lesson. Exactly. I completely agree with you in being allowed to make a mistake. And instead of yeah. being judged, being uh, empowered, I, I agree with you, Mel. This is the best approach to, to, it's a very humanistic approach. And I think it's at the corporate level, it's, it's the right approach as well, right? So people do not fear coming to you, listen, I've made a mistake, but rather, yes, I made a mistake, but here's what we can do about it. I think that that's the way to go uh, when it comes to that. And look, if you make a huge mistake and you're going to get fired, like I get it. But still owning that and owning that you went and you told them, you know, that this happened is going to just sit on you so much easier. And also like then if I know multiple girls who have started their own businesses by giant mistakes that they made in corporate culture. 
multiple oh. girls. And so for me, it's like, well, those bosses that fired them missed out on the opportunity for creating a space that was safe for them to go and tell people um, what their mistakes were and what they learned from them. I love that when we talked before, you said we haven't even scratched the surface. I love that you're you're thinking big. And so what are your next steps and your biggest challenges and your biggest lessons? And where do you see yourself going and how can the listeners help? So what, what we have in mind right now is obviously, you know, we're still going through adversity with uh, this coronavirus and not until a vaccine comes about, uh, we can kind of like, you know, uh, have some sort of peace in our mind, but we were like I said, like I told you before, we're not, we haven't even scratched the surface. So we're planning of extending uh, to new locations in Florida. Uh, a few years ago, I made a, a mistake on expanding outside of Florida. I was uh, I opened in New York and I opened in California. I did not understand the corporate culture in those two states, nor the governance, nor the licensure. Uh, spent a significant amount of money. It cost me close to a million dollars in opening those locations, money that I lost, but I learned from it. And I learned to stay within my turf, which is what I know, which is where I feel comfortable. Not saying that I like to be comfortable and that I want to be in a, com in a comfort zone, but rather knowing that within our, within our locations and within our limits, we know how to maneuver around right here in the state of Florida. So we're planning to expand to, to additional locations. Uh, we're planning within the state of Florida. We're planning to grow as well our university uh, pathway, which is in essence adding more uh, universities to the list of providers that we have, meaning to the list of universities that recognize our program. Uh, we do have offices in Saudi Arabia, in China, and in South America, in Colombia. So we're planning to expand more offices as well overseas and opening uh, hubs of all our schools in the Middle East, in Asia, and in Brazil. So we're, we're planning to open, not only to focus on the Florida state and expanding locations within the state of Florida, but in addition to open our schools uh, within uh, different countries that we already have offices and we already have staff and manage staff uh, to start offering the services that we do here in the U.S. Out, outside, overseas. So we're excited about that as well because students from overseas will have the opportunity as well to pursue the program in their country with OLA at a much lower uh, currency rate, of course, to then go straight to the universities that we are associated with. Uh, Egypt is also another place where we're planning to open along with a university uh, our school. So it's very exciting because we're expanding not only here um, domestically within the state of Florida, but in addition uh, in different parts of the world where the market is heavily dense for ESL uh, students moving in, transitioning, transitioning on to university. Gotcha. And we'll be, so let's say I'm a, I'm somebody who needs to learn English in in a country that isn't listed, could I go online and try to be, do, use your courses there? If you're trying to use, okay, you're saying if we don't have a school overseas and a student wants, so this is the type of student that could actually pursue the program virtually. 
So right. That's what I'm asking. Like if I'm in another state or overseas, but uh-huh. I, I want to use your service, could they just use it online? Yes, they could. They can use the online platform, which is a blended platform, right? So it's uh, the, the back end, the CRM and this is uh, quite amazing. So this virtual platform that we launched on March, by June, it was already the number one. Uh, it, we were recognized already by the leading uh, industry um, advocacy groups as the leading platform for virtual English learning. So since it's on the internet, obviously it can be used anywhere, whether it's people that are in New York or Texas, wherever, or people from outside, they can still go through the entire program from the pre-basic level all the way to the elite level, which allows them to move on to university virtually. So in essence, our program, if not face-to-face, can be accessed through the virtual platform, yes. And so what is the website? What are, what are, how do people follow you? How do they go there? And can you drop your tags and stuff so people can follow you? And I'll also put them in the description of this as well. Sure, 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 sure. So our website is ola.com. That would be O-H-L-A.com. And there they can find the different locations, the different programs that we offer. It talks about the program as well, the the length and structure, the scope and sequence, lots of academic uh, verbiage there that that I'm not truly, uh, um, I don't have a, a good hold of the, of the academics end of it. I just do marketing, right? So that's another thing, Mel, you have to recognize what are your skills. Yeah, and I love that. Skills is definitely not in curriculum. Yeah, that's good. Look, you can't do everything. Just know what you're good at. <laughs> that is correct. And then is um, Ola on Instagram or any other social platform? Yes, of course. So we have, okay, so our website is ola.com. And then in our Instagram is olaschools.com. And ola is O-H-L-A, Ola Schools uh, is on Instagram, the same Ola Schools on Facebook. And then each individual campus, of course, has its own Instagram account and uh, LinkedIn and, you know, like all the, the different social media outlets. But the website in general is ola.com, O-H-L-A.com. So let's say somebody's interested in education or, you know, your industry, where would you guide them to get more resources, like maybe some books or, or some, you know, some other places where if they're thinking about being an educator or they're interested in the education field, how would you advise people to kind of continue researching that? So definitely through the advocacy groups, right? So through English USA, which I'm a board member and proud to be a board member. Uh, in the professional development committee as well as membership and also NAPSA, which is a a good uh, source for people that are wanting to be part of of this industry. What is that Um, one? Which one? NAPSA, N-A-F-S-A, NAPSA, English USA. Those are are advocacy groups that give uh, uh, a lot of information related to the industry, uh, TESOL as well for people that are, let's say, people wanting to teach English as a second language. Uh, TESOL is it's another um, avenue to 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 look into. Uh, there's several English USA, TESOL, NAPSA. Uh, I would say that those are the leading ones. Okay, and then. Are you a part of a women's group? Did you say Lead 5050? Is that yes, one of Yes, I am part of Lead 5050. It's a woman that empowers, it's a group that empowers women in the industry and any other industry in general. 
in uh, 2017, they, every year they nominate uh, uh, the, the most inspirational woman in the industry. And in 2017, I was the one that won oh. the awards. I was very happy. Go, girl. Uh, well, I, I love the fact that women empower women, right? If we don't help each other, then who's going to help us? Absolutely. So I, I love that. So yes, I'm part of Lead 5050 also soon. Uh, I had sent and submitted an application to be on the, um, on uh, assisting girls that are in prison and uh, they are transitioning to the normal life, back into life, like some sort of, of, you know, guiding them, empowering them, teaching them skills to get back to work and helping. I, I am very, you know, for whatever reason, when I think about doing something for other people, women always come first to me. Um, and, and this is the type of work that I do voluntarily. Yes. And that's why the world has brought us to each other. Yes, so, yes. <laughs> um, do you, if you could have like a, one blessing come down and rain upon Ola schools or your own life, what would that be? A one blessing. Okay. Let's that everyone automatic. No, that wouldn't be good for business. That everyone automatically knew English. No. Um, <laughs> that everyone needed to relearn English. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I think you kind of already answered it with like how you're expanding, but if there's anyone listening that might be able to do something to assist with the mission, what would, what would you want to kind of ask them for, ask the universe for? What would I ask the universe for? Ah, uh, Jesus, I would ask for the company in general, for the government at the highest level to be more open to those immigration policies. That would be a blessing if we could have a government that is uh, inclusive of international student mobility where our borders are open where our immigration policies are um, less complicated as they are right now that that would be a true blessing if we could have at the highest level a more uh, flexible approach to immigration Absolutely, yeah. especially for people trying to to come here to study. Especially, exactly, especially because the U.S. is a country of, of people from all over the world, right? Yeah. So, our, you know, people I'm first that, and second generation in my family, so I get it. From, from where? My mom's family came from uh, Italy, and my dad was was British. Wow. So wow. I'm first on my dad's side, second on my mom's, and and you know. Um, I now, lived in, now I I've, understand your looks. <laughs> thank you. Um, no, I, you know, I've lived in six countries and, and like 15 cities total. And it's funny because people, they're talking a lot about America these days, but every time I leave this country, everyone, you know, I'm very happy to come back and I, everyone always wants to come here, like in, from a lot of other places. So we're still doing some things, right? I think we have a lot of work to do here, but I think that that's a great place to, to look at um, improvement, and I love that you're 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 creating a business that has awareness and of how to make the world better. And I just think you're really on a path to making effective changes to turning dreams into reality for people. So thank you so much for that, and thank you for your time. And is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have? 
Uh, you, I don't know, you were, there was one book that I would love to share that oh, I yeah, think books. That your listeners yeah. will absolutely love, especially those, uh, and if you haven't read it, those that are wanting to pursue uh, new adventures, new careers, whether it's at the leadership level or not. There's a, a beautiful book by Napoleon Hill called Outwitting the Devil. Ooh. This is a must. You must read this. You finish this book within a day or two. Uh, it's, it's not long. It's just a few pages. But what it gives you is the insight as how we can pursue our dreams without fear in our heart. Oh, and, I love and that. This, this is a book that I think your listeners should definitely take the time to read. It's available on Amazon. I haven't read it. I always suggest the listeners use Overdrive. They can read books for free on there. If you have a library card, you can download Overdrive and read for free. It's in my, it's always in the description of this podcast. We always give book recommendations. That's a good one. I haven't read it. I'm going to definitely read it. And, and yeah, so thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing talking to you and I hope that we'll get to uh, talk to you and, and hear what's new and, and see how you are on your, on your mission in the future. Thank you so much, Mel. Thank you for your time as well. Thank you for doing the work that you do for reaching out to other women in the business or people uh, that are wanting to share their experience. I do appreciate that. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for your time as well. And to all the listeners. <laughs> nice. Nothing in this podcast is a recommendation. Hey, all you sea stars, goddesses, naiads, and Neptunes, aka the paradisiacs who care about the important stuff. I hope you all found some inspiration today, and I hope to have your beautiful souls back for our next episode. This podcast supports a beautiful group of humans who gather on full moons, and to find a link for Howl and Heal, and for our website with these episodes, details, and blog, head to themelroseshow.com. You can also connect with me on IG at Melrose Wild or at the Melrose Podcast. Again, this is Melrose. I hope after you listen to this conversation, you feel some magic brewing in your own destiny. Thank you for listening and please subscribe or follow us to get updates on new episodes. And if you love this podcast, the best compliment is to rate us with five stars and maybe leave a little love note about how this podcast might be helping you. Have a wonderful day and may the forces of wholeness and growth be with you all. have to believe in yourself do the homework of course do the homework prepare yourself be bold be assertive when you talk to people and then the work just speak the work speaks for for itself right you slowly but surely establish yourself as a as a professional and then uh you grow within your profession 
but be sure of yourself as an individual. It is very difficult for you to go up in the ladder or become a leader when you yourself don't believe you're a leader yourself. 